I guess I just took a little chunk from each person, applied my own strategies, see what I can do different, see what I can do the same, and just kind of go from there. But I think the biggest thing is like implementing action, right? Because you can watch YouTube videos all day and night, but if you don't actually do anything after that, you know, if you don't actually take action oriented steps, you know, you're pretty much not going to move anywhere. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast. Your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Yasha, aka Yasha's Ku. Dropshipping Council member, founder and operator of both Straight Line Media and Ecom Masterminds, has quite a lot going for him. In this interview, we delve into his dropshipping strategies and shed some light on the way the industry is perceived from the outside. And on the inside too, as a matter of fact. Here on Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, positivity and light reign supreme. I know you believe me, but have a listen anyways. Yash, good to have you here. Thanks for being on the show. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure each and every time, and I see no reason why this one would be any different. First step, the step of all steps, is tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So again, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to shed some light, get some insight to your audience. So yeah, like you said, my name is Yash. I'm originally from New Jersey. Currently, I've been in the e-commerce, specifically the dropshipping space, for a little over three, three and a half years now. Since then, I've been able to, you know, build and scale and run multiple six and seven figure businesses. I also run and operate a digital marketing agency where, you know, we serve small and medium sized e-commerce business owners. I've gotten into the consulting and coaching space and, uh, you know, love to put out content on YouTube and whatnot. So, you know, I've definitely expanded my network in terms of that. Definitely, you know, a lot of doors have opened up for me in the past two or three years. So. Yeah, that's just a little bit about me. And again, very excited to be on here. I'm excited to have you. So one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of the people that I've talked to is that the majority of people who are eager to share what they've learned far outweighs the people who, for whatever reason, haven't done any of it yet. Maybe they're, I don't know, maybe it's like on the on the to-do list. Maybe next Thursday, they'll start something up. But for the most part, everybody is really eager to share what they've learned. So when you were first starting up, who were some of the people that you were learning from and where did you get your initial information? Yeah, so it's kind of funny because I don't know if I can touch on this just yet, but um, I'll, I'll get a little okay. bit into it. So I actually started or just heard about dropshipping in general from a YouTube ad, right? And that was actually when I was working at J&J when I was still in school. I went to Rutgers in New Jersey, by the way, for all my New Jersey people. But I saw a YouTube ad and, you know, that's how I kind of got started. And what's funny is that YouTube actually played a huge part in learning a lot of the skills when it came to e-commerce, when it came to dropshipping. I mean, there's tons and tons of tons of content out there. It's just, you know, really coming down to watching the right people, right? Obviously, uh, I feel like there's a lot of bad negative energy out there. There's a lot of noise out there. So, I mean, some of the people I started watching were Camille Saar, the Ecom King. Um, mm-hmm. Former guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen his podcast too. 
the Econ Wizard. I've been seeing Ricky Hayes' videos for a while now. So definitely, you know, I've been tapping into a few people, you know, when it came to just kind of starting out. And I guess I just took a little chunk from each person, applied my own strategy, see what I can do different, see what I can do the same, and just kind of go from there. But I think the biggest thing is like implementing action, right? Because you can watch YouTube videos all day and night, but if you don't actually do anything after that, you know, if you don't actually take action-oriented steps, you know, you're pretty much not going to move anywhere. I noticed that's true. And it's not just with uh, e-commerce. It's really with the learning process in general, is that if I spend, say, two hours every day just listening to content about, I don't know, sewing or basket weaving, the learning process just doesn't work unless you take what you learned and you immediately begin to apply it. Because in other ways, you just get into this loop of assuring, self-assuring information. Like, oh, yes, this information, it validates what I'm thinking. But then it you don't go anywhere with exactly. it. So let's unravel a couple of the operations that you work on. You said you set up a digital marketing agency, I believe, uh, Straight Line Media. Yeah, correct. Right? I run the Operate Straight Line okay. Media, yeah. Okay, so far I haven't accidentally looked at like the wrong operation for somebody, but Canadians were really good at anxiety. Anyways, so tell us about it. And uh, what I want to know in particular is what's the significance of the term straight line, where how that was yeah, for sure. It. So I actually started up my own agency about a year, year and a half, I think more towards like the 14th or 15th month mark when I started drop shipping. And I thought to myself like, hey, I could achieve these kinds of results, you know, with Instagram influence marketing, with Facebook marketing, with Google marketing, you know, now I, I more so focus on Facebook and Instagram. But anywho, I was like, you know, I could achieve these sorts of results with these platforms to my businesses. So why not cater to other businesses and offer the same? So it's funny because I initially actually started to serve real estate agents and mortgage brokers. I used to offer like lead generation services to them through Facebook and through Google. I soon realized that just wasn't my pawn to fishing. So I really kind of took a step back and uh, honed down to e-commerce. You know, I thought to myself that whether it be a starting medium or, you know, large e-commerce business, you know, or whether it be a smaller, big player in the game, they need some sort of online advertising, right? That's what e-commerce businesses depend on for their sales, mm -hmm. for their income. So again, kind of really took a step back and just focus on e-commerce. Before I used to do a lot of lead generation on Instagram. Now, since I've been able to build my personal brand and just form networks and connections, you know, I get a lot of organic inbound leads. I remember I used to like do all of the client management work by myself, uh, but I learned that, you know, the biggest mistake people do usually is not hiring early enough, right? So that's when I found these really two awesome media managers that are actually located in Europe or media buyers, I would say. And, uh, you know, we kind of really scaled, I think our third or fourth month in business and started onboarding more and more clients right now for a lot of our clients where... You know, we're managing hundreds and thousands of dollars in ad spend per month. So, you know, that's been great. You know, it's been a pleasure to train and work with a lot of my media buyers as well. So that's kind of that. I think the agency business model is super good, super rewarding in the sense that, you know, you're driving results to other businesses, right? And we really focus on our deliverability. That's where like the name Straight Line Media comes from. There's not really too much like of a story behind that. It's not really too personal or anything like that. Uh, it's just that we're sure. really, you know, result driven. We're really result focused. And, uh, you know, we really make sure that we only onboard clients that fit our company culture, 
right? Clients that we know that we're going to be able to drive results for, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, like we want to retain that client, you know, we want referrals from them. You know, we want to make really good case studies from them. So that's kind of where the name came from. And I just stuck with it since then. And yeah, I think e-commerce is ever expanding. It's ever growing, especially with a lot of businesses transitioning to, I would say from like brick and mortars or from storefronts to having an online presence. So yeah, we're super excited to scale, especially this uh, Q4. One of the things that you mentioned with your media is that you do small and medium scale businesses. Absent from that is uh, large scale. So one of the things I'm wondering about is how, let's say, does an operation or one of your clients get to a point where they actually do need to scale upwards furthermore? And then would you recommend them to a different agency? Or is there is there a point where they're almost like an alumni of you? Like they graduate and then they move on to something else? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So when I first started to work with e-commerce clients, or at least when I started to decide, you know, I want to only focus on e-commerce businesses, we used to work with a lot of dropshipping clients. We soon realized it just wasn't really time efficient. Because obviously, you know, with dropshipping, like you have to continuously test products and stuff. Yes, I do dropship, but like to actually onboard someone from an agency owner's perspective, it just gets super time consuming. Basically, a dropshipping business owner would test a product for a few days. It would not work and we have to take a break and then kind of wait to test another product. A lot of dropshipping business owners don't have the the largest budget as well. So we thought, mm. you know, we, we would only start serving more e-commerce businesses that were grounded, you know, more so like white label brands, private label brands, because they already have something working, right? And they want basically someone else to kind of take over that and scale it and take it to the next level. We have had a few clients that actually were doing like almost a million dollars a month in sales. And then they just transitioned to having like an in-house marketing team. Unfortunately, like that's that. But obviously, like it feels good because, you know, they got to that point uh, because of that joint or sync effort, you know, amongst the agency and obviously them as well. So, but yeah, I mean, we work with clients across, you know, a really broad spectrum, you know, like uh, we've served uh, clients in the orthopedic space to the healthcare space to fitness, uh, baby, mom, uh, supplements, you know, like any niche (laughs) or niche that you can actually think about. So that's been super cool to tap into different uh, areas and different spaces. I'm a bit of a supplement, not myself. There's this company, Brickhouse Nutrition. They, it's, there's like always a little bit of skepticism with supplements. Not that we're going to go like too far off onto this tangent, but people are like, do supplements do really work? Uh, I can say that some of these are actually like mind-blowingly powerful. Yeah. They also can become a bit of a crush. There's actually a ton of companies starting supplements. I think it's a really competitive niche or really competitive space. At the end of the day, like it just all comes to the product and having good marketing, you know? And because I feel like a lot of people have that stigma for like supplement products or supplement related products that it's like a scam or it's phony or it's just a bunch of BS. So it all just kind of really comes down to, again, having the good, having the right product and a good branding and a good marketing behind it, you know? But yeah, I mean, that, that niche is like super tricky. That's why like we don't work with too many of them anymore. 
I'm just going to say one little tiny thing about it and then we'll move on because it's not a supplement <laughs> podcast. What I find has helped to build trust is if I'll order a product that has to work within the span of like a day or even six hours, like if it's an energy supplement or if it's a yeah. sleep aid, those ones have a very clear failure state. So if I trust that those work, then the stuff that's more like long-term would work. But that's it. I'm zipping <laughs> up about it. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. There's a couple of other of your operations that uh, I want to get to, but you mentioned some of your, your some of your drop shipping and that's the thing that I wanted to talk to almost the most out of everything and I'm and I just kind of want to get to it. So I looked at some of your YouTube videos and this is probably one of the more recent videos. It was a 30-day Shopify case study. The total revenue was 134,000. But the profit was 18,000 which is still nothing to balk at. Like that is, for some people, that's half a year's salary, which you pulled off in 30 days. So, you, you know, you bang out, what, six or seven of those a year, you're, you're looking pretty good. But the reason why I wanted to hear you expand on it is because I think that's going to help illuminate people what the actual takeaway is versus the almost pie in the sky uh, figures that the revenue might lead people to believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, and this is what I mentioned in that video too, so I obviously use Facebook as my as my main source of advertising, right? And I had a span where or a time frame where the ad account was disabled or it it actually got disabled about like six or seven times within like a week <laughs> and a half. So a lot of those days what happens when the ad account gets disabled is that it loses momentum, right? The ads lose momentum, it loses optimization. And you know, I even mentioned this, that the first one, two, and three times it got disabled, the ads picked right back up. But like the fourth, fifth, sixth time, you know, it was a huge loss. So there were a few days where, I mean, I was spending like two, three, upwards of $4,500 of ad spend, and I was losing money, you know, because I was just trying to get it back on its feet, meaning the actual store or even the ad account, mm -hmm. I would say. So I think I lost a ton of money during that time, I probably lost at least like four to $7,000 in those few days where I was just trying to get the ad account back up. But yeah, I mean, with drop shipping, like the usual profit margins you see are anywhere between like 15% to 25 upwards of 30%. 30% is pretty rare. I mean, I've had stores that I've done, you know, over $150,000, $200,000 in revenue uh, per month. And, you know, have had profit margins of like 22, 23%. So obviously, like, that's a good spot to be at. I think just the ad account just messing up just really put me at a bad spot. And obviously, like you said, like 18,000 is not like completely garbage. It's not like I'm complaining about it. Obviously, it would have been mm -hmm. nicer if that if that number was more towards like 30, 40,000. That was kind of what I was expecting. You have to realize mm -hmm. or people have to realize that Stuff like this happens with drop shipping, and especially the most important thing is just catching yourself when you do come across like hindrances or roadblocks, such as ad account issues or payment processor issues or applier issues. Like a lot of people will get greedy; they'll basically end up taking a huge dip within their profits, right? Because again, they just get too caught up in fixing something that's not fixable. In this case, like. I had to scale the store down incredibly. That store is still running. It's doing about two to $3,000 days in revenue. And I'm profiting 
my profit margins have actually increased. They're like 26, 27% now. It's just basically running lower at scale. But yeah, I mean, the higher you scale, you know, the more vulnerable you are in having a setback when right. you do come across an issue. Or I would say when you come across an issue, unless you're super lucky, you know, you have to be prepared for stuff like that. So I just thought that that, that, that was like an interesting case study to share in terms of, you know, what the process looked like getting up to that mark. So it was a super fun experience. And uh, again, I'm pretty transparent, open about stuff like that. So, you know, there's a lot to eat up from the pie. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone that uh, I've uh, had the distinction and honor to talk to have all, have also been uh, open and transparent about it. And, and And I don't know if there's like any one particularly most convincing case for it, but one is that the more people involved, the more it can bring other customers into the fold and become more comfortable with uh, e-commerce in general, which just gets more shoppers. Of course, yeah, absolutely. So two things popped out to me on that. One of them, you probably know what it is because you said it was disabled six or seven times. And I, I found that funny, but I also have no idea, like, why were they disabled so many times? Yeah, so Facebook has actually gotten really strict in their advertising policies and, and guidelines, especially in 2020. They've gotten that strict because... They're just trying to weed all the dropshippers out, right? Or the dropshippers that aren't doing their job. I mean, there's tons and tons of people on Facebook that are scamming people. Like once I saw this ad where it was like a holographic shark, right? And this holographic shark was in someone's living room and it basically looked really really real i mean this looked incredibly real almost too real and you know obviously on their website they had the same image the same picture you know saying that oh you're gonna get this holographic shark and it's gonna like swim around and whatnot and when a lot of people received their orders it was like a plush like like a plush shark right so i mean there's people doing this like at scale, you know, there's scammers out there utilizing mm-hmm. the platform and just kind of, you know, misleading people and stealing money from people. So one, like Facebook has gotten really strict on their policies and, and like guidelines. On the 29th, which is today, I believe, or was that yesterday? As of recording, uh, today is the 29th. Right. Yeah. So there's actually a new policy from the 29th that if your page feedback score goes below a two, if your Facebook page is less than a year old, you won't be able to advertise from Facebook. Again, like Facebook is just imposing all these new uh, guidelines and policies and whatnot, and they're getting stricter in a lot of their current advertising policies as well. Like the, one of the main reasons why my ad account got disabled is because it had so many rejected ads previously that it built up that negative history and Facebook just caught on and it just disabled the ad account, right? And since I was selling like a personal healthcare product, I kept violating the personal health policy on Facebook. Even stuff like showing a close-up or a before and after of a body part, right? Facebook won't like something like that. So those are the main reasons I had to switch my ad creatives and my videos around about three or four times. And, uh, you know, something finally stuck through. And, you know, it ended up not getting disabled. So again, those are just like the everyday, obviously not everyday, but those are just like the normalized things that happens with Facebook. You just have to be careful 
and just try to push them and go around it like the clean way, you know? So, yeah, there's just so many different things that can occur. And that's one of the reasons why I encourage listeners to really listen to each and every guest that we have on the show, because everybody is tackling these little yeah. issues and it'll just make it easier for the next people. Just as people who tackled issues made it easier for you to, to get started on it. So it's funny. I think I know that shark ad. I think I've seen it, but I see so many ads on Facebook. A lot of them just filter out. I think it was like, it was swimming around the living room and there were kids that were like, oh, what? It's, oh, it's a shark. And they like, they get, they get yeah. on the couch. That was- Is that it? Yeah. Okay. I remember. Yeah. That stuck out, but I didn't realize that was for a product. I thought that was just like, I don't know, like a demonstration. of. Yeah. That's what I thought too, but it's actually for a product quote unquote. And uh, my buddy was telling me like a lot of people got like stuffed shark animals, you know, instead of that holographic (laughs) shark that that was displayed on the ad. So, I mean, it's incredible. Like obviously not in a good way, what, what just people will do, you know, just to get quick money. There's this one ad that boggles my mind and maybe you've seen it where it's usually an advertisement for like a mobile game and there's a person and he's got this perplexing puzzle in front of him where there's like gold and then there's lava and then there's water and then you have to pull on the different levers to try to preserve the gold and not get doused in lava and like eight different games are all using this one ad including a game that I I recognize and I think why don't you just use footage from your actual gameplay? Like this, this ad has no representation whatsoever of, of it. So I don't know. I, I think that maybe some of these game companies are just like outsourcing the advertising to an agency. I think that's what they're doing. It's just pretty much the easy way out. And um, a lot of the consumer market, especially like the older population, they aren't as educated about things like this. They're very easy to fool. They're very vulnerable. Even though they mm-hmm. might not be purchasing or looking into something for themselves on Facebook or on Instagram, even you know it's maybe for their grandkids or their children or their nieces and nephews or whatnot. I don't know. So that's like the danger for a lot of consumers when it comes to advertisers just taking advantage of stuff like that. You know, obviously there's a way of marketing, there's a way of smart marketing, but a lot of people just fall into that place of unethical marketing. Right. Yeah. Cause it, it, it always work on one person first. Like the first person who sees that ad will fall for it, but then they see it again. And well, at that point too bad, they've already invested their time or exactly. money into it. Yeah. I mean, that's why Facebook's getting stricter and stricter every single month. You know, they're imposing all these new guidelines and policies because they just simply want to weed all the bad people out. You know, that's just as simple as you guys. So it's definitely understandable from, yeah a platform's point of view, especially, you know, when it has like over a billion users. So. Over a billion. That, that blows my mind. But it is Facebook, so I understand. The other thing that stuck out to me in your uh, in, in your case study was that you were just saying about how when something, especially a dropshipper, when they scale quite high, that leaves them more vulnerable. So based off your your own experience with scaling, what are some of the foundations or what are some of the safeguards that you've put in place to scale safely let's say yeah so first things first is having a good supplier right that's the main thing because you do not want to delay getting your orders fulfilled you do not want chargebacks disputes and all that stuff going on so i was actually using a private shipping agent through one of my networks i think camille actually introduced me to her which was great and then once i started getting a few hundred orders a day I transitioned into using a fulfillment center, right? 
And I'm glad I made that choice right when I massively scaled because during that period, again, I was getting about five to 700 orders daily, you know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more some days. And a few things that are very important when you're doing that much volume is obviously quality control. You don't want your products to be defective or damaged when they're arriving at the customer's door. Having good shipping times, you know, you don't want your customers to wait months and months and months or even weeks, you know, maybe two or three weeks because of COVID, that's fine. Um, mm. Having just good, reliable communication between myself and the supplier. You know, what else? Just having uh, tracking info being updated as well, you know, when it comes to on the Shopify platform. The other thing is like even with payment processors, like I, I still have about forty-five dollars to $46,000 on hold with PayPal. And that's because I didn't actually notify PayPal, which was my mistake, right? I usually always notify PayPal. I always notify, you know, American Express because that's a card I utilize when it comes to Facebook ads. When there's going to be a big increase and, in, you know, funds being sent out to funds being sent in. So those are some of the things I always do. Also just hiring VAs for order fulfillment, uh, customer service. I mean, having good customer service is so important. Um, you know, you'll be surprised at how many emails you'll be getting. I mean, you know, in that month span, I probably got a few thousand emails and there's no way I could probably handle all of that. So that just kind of, again, goes to my point, when I, which I made in the beginning of this podcast about being not too late to hire, right? A lot of people try to do these things by themselves, such as like order fulfillment, customer service, whatnot. So, you know, those are some of the safeguards I personally had. And you definitely are more vulnerable, right? Because anything can happen at any given time and it can mess a lot of things up. I remember one time I was scaling a store and my supplier had just purchased a few thousand units of this product, right? A large amount of inventory. And my Facebook page and my ad account ended up getting shut down. So, and I couldn't really get it back up. So, you know, that was a whole mess because they had already purchased that. They couldn't return it for some reason. And uh, like I said, yeah, I just turned into a whole huge mess. So you absolutely are more vulnerable. I think each time you just learn different things and you make sure to apply those measures so they don't, you know, end up happening again. Yeah, I would think if I'm going to set up my own uh, e-commerce or my own dropshipping operation, which hasn't happened yet, but after talking to all you fine folk, it's hard not to be tempted. But I think for me, the first thing I would do is just focus on trying to do a small scale operation and try to do things manually, just so that I understand everything and then move into higher scaled operations as I gain more experience, as opposed to trying to jump in and starting an enterprise or starting an empire on my first go. Yeah, absolutely. I always say like drop shipping is composed of a multitude of skills and or even more than that dropshipping is composed of a multitude of components and each component has a skill you know such as running facebook ads learning how to test and launch products that's a skill and each skill also has a sub skill like a sub skill within facebook ads would be you know learning how to read your kpis and metrics and learning how to make guided decisions from them so i think just Learning all these skills and being up to par with everything is very important first. Just someone yesterday on Instagram hit me up and he's like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, get into dropshipping. Do you think it's a good idea to 
outsource the advertising part, you know, to an agency or should I learn and do it myself? Right. So that's what, Mm -hmm. that's what I told him. I'm like, yeah, you can definitely give it to an agency, but then when they don't deliver, you're going to be confused as to what went wrong. You know, you're not going to know anything about what went wrong, what they did or how they tackled it. You know, you're not going to really even know the process they followed. You know, that's what I did. Like for my agency, even I used to handle all the media buying myself for all my clients. And then ultimately, obviously I did outsource it. I trained, you know, two great media buyers. They were very skilled themselves as well. And, um, you know, it really led me to kind of know what's going on at the same time, but also not worry about it too much because I have people handling it. So I think just learning everything first, you know, whether it be copywriting, product description, pricing strategy, influencer marketing, how to set up like infrastructure, all those things are very, very, very vital to learn at first. And then, um, you know, you can outsource, you can have someone help you, you can get a business partner whatever it really may be that's, you know, a good fit for you and your business. So So let me also make sure that uh, we get the rest of what you get up to. You also set up Ecom Masterminds. So what was the genesis of that and what's what's it about? What are some of the success stories to come from Masterminds? Yeah, so Ecom Masterminds was actually previously Shopify Masterminds. And I decided to change it to Ecom Masterminds because... I didn't want to only limit it to Shopify users. Obviously, there's a lot of people in the e-commerce space, dropshipping space. They're using other platforms, you know, WordPress, Wix, Squarespace, whatever it really may be, even though most people use Shopify, right? That's pretty much self-evident. I wanted to call it e-com mastermind, so it's more of like a broader community, I would say, just anyone into digital marketing slash e-commerce. So it actually started out as a Facebook group. I think a year and a half ago. And my main purpose of starting that Facebook group was, again, just to keep it open for intermediate, beginners, advanced players. doesn't really matter. And my main thing was to post update <laughs> videos on there, to post, you know, kind of little snippets of what I learned just across through my journey. And I saw that more and more people started joining it because I was really active on it. Um, a lot of my closer buddies joined it as well. They were also in the e-com, you know, dropshipping, digital marketing space. And, uh, you know, over the course of time, like I started to do live streams on it. I started to do Q&As, uh, giveaways. And, uh, you know, we're almost at 3,000 members now. And I know there's tons and tons of Facebook groups, specifically in the e-commerce space. And a lot of them have like 40, 50, 60,000 people. But a lot of those groups, again, I'm not really bashing any particular group. It's just what I've seen you know, through the years is a lot of those groups have like a lot of hate and just spam content. A lot of people are in- inactive on it, you know, so I really, really, really want to create one of the best e-commerce communities on Facebook, right? Through that group at least. So again, like I said, we're over 3000 members now. I also launched my e-com masterminds incubator playbook, which is a great handout for beginners. You know, I've had a lot of, lot of good traction from that, a lot of good feedback from that. Uh, just last month, I started the Ecom Masterminds Inner Circle Group, where I have a, a, I think we have about like 18 or 19 people right now, uh, where, I, where I can actually give them, you know, one-on-one devoted time, answer their questions, have like weekly calls and whatnot. You know, people are actually serious in being committed to e-commerce, actually wanting results. So, 
you know, I've definitely expanded a lot of things from the group. Um, I've met a lot of people from the group, made a lot of close friends from the group. I had a lot of success stories just by people following the group, you know, but not only myself posting, a lot, of, a lot of other people posting, sharing my YouTube videos. A lot of my one-on-one coaching students have came from that group and we've absolutely formed a long-term relationship. So, you know, things have worked out really well for Ecom Mastermind. And again, I do want to be kind of one of the best communities out there, at least on Facebook, just because there's so much noise through other Facebook groups, uh, you know, for e-commerce entrepreneurs. So the the incubator seems uh, interesting to me, and I may ask you to send me that. Is that a, a PDF and, and it's just something that people can access and read or how does that yeah, actually the work? Incubator playbook is just a PDF. It's a handout. Um, it's about 17 to 18 pages all written by me. And uh, it really has a lot of essential dropshipping topics. Um, you know, everything from like what is dropshipping, how the business model works to even some, you know, basic slash intermediate Facebook scaling strategies. So um, I think it's absolutely amazing for anyone who wants to get into the space or someone who's just started in the space. And again, I've had some really, really good feedback from it. So um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be coming out with like an updated part or or at least a revised part probably in the coming few weeks or coming few months. So I'm super excited about that too. You know, the thing that I appreciate is knowing that there are a lot of I'd say stormy or dark or not essentially positive uh, communities out there. And me, I don't know. I I am tempted to ask about it. Uh, We don't want to dwell too much on the negatives, but I think it's good to get some awareness of it. So we know that when people are slandering or people are spewing hatred, we, we know that that's not good. But what I would like to know more specifically is what kind of advice would these particular communities hand out that you wouldn't want to follow or you wouldn't want someone uh, who follows you or works with you to uh, to take as well because i don't think they're just going there to spew vile i think they're going there to learn something and maybe they learn they're learning the wrong lessons yeah i mean there's tons of content out there there's tons of information out there it's just grabbing the right information sometimes especially beginners they're more vulnerable they may hear something they may act upon it uh, without hearing like a second opinion or a second say Now, obviously, I'm not the only one who has a Facebook group. I'm not the only one who has a YouTube channel. There's several other people who are, you know, way bigger than me, especially on YouTube, right? Larger audiences. And again, I don't want to name call, but there's people who have tons of larger audiences than I do on YouTube. And sometimes I'm just like, really? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So again, I'm not going to say too much about that, but... Even like the students who I coach, like I always say like, hey, you don't only have to watch my videos. You know, you don't always have to get insight from me. You know, like watch other people, you know, tap into different waters, you know, see what you like, see what you don't like. So I think it it just really comes down to knowing the right people in the space. I mean, you know, two and a half, three years ago, I could literally ask no one for help. Right. Because I didn't know who to really go to. Sure. None of my friends were doing this. None of my family members were doing this. In fact, they were looking at me like I'm crazy, you know. Um, so that was like completely far from one of my choices. And just o- over the years, like I've been able to go to in-person masterminds. You know, I was just 
offered an invitation to the dropshipping council a few months ago, where I actually uh, got closer to Ricky and a lot of other guys in the e-commerce space, mm-hmm. well, guys and gals. And yeah, I think just knowing the right people over time will make you invest your time, money, and energy more efficiently and maximize your return. I feel like you're going to make wrong decisions when you first start out. It's okay to make wrong decisions. Like I've been scammed straight up by like a lot of people on, 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 on Facebook, on Instagram, where they've just took my money and ran away. But it, it kind of all comes down with not so much the process, but more so like the learning experience, right? Not, not being just too vulnerable and making smart decisions. And, you know, feel free to reach out to someone, like, even if you don't really know anyone, you know, go to Reddit, like, go to Yahoo forums. I don't even think they, that even exists anymore, right? Or like Yahoo Answers, is it? <laughs> I never <laughs> I know with Yahoo. Yahoo. Yeah, I think there's... Like they had a they had a TV service once. I, I only know that because they did season six of Community, oh, but that was like an eight year gap of like Yahoo is still doing <laughs> stuff. Yeah, good for them. I wish them well. I really do. But yeah, like my point is like reach out to someone. You know, like join a Facebook community like Ecom Mastermind. So just make sure you're heading towards the right steps and not backwards. Because sometimes you know, or sometimes you think that you're doing something right, but you're really not, and you're heading the other direction. So. You know, it sounds to me like a lot of this uh, came in waves in the same way that music development over the years comes in waves. Uh, I'm a Sky guy myself, so I know about there's like first wave, second wave, third wave, Sky, mm-hmm. and so on. And I wouldn't be the right person to try and characterize which wave this is in. We need somebody more more involved, but you're definitely not in the first wave because the first wave was all people just trying to figure it out on their own. Whereas whatever wave it is now, People don't have to start blind. People can join, not only like find YouTube videos, but they can join communities too. And they can join the community first and be a part of the conversation first before they have to start the operation. 100%. Yeah. I mean, in like, I mean, obviously dropshipping is a business model that's been around for decades and decades, but obviously like applying that into having like a Shopify store, for example, right? Like that became really prominent in like 14, 15, 16, 17 and there was barely any content out there, right? People really didn't know about it. People didn't know even if this was possible. And that's why a lot of those early players like capitalized, you know, with drop shipping, you know, like the fidget spinner era or even before that, <laughs> I would say. So yeah, I mean, I think we're in a spot right now where there's a lot of vices and, you know, there's obviously a lot of good things out there too. Because sometimes, like, there's too much information that can always hurt you. Like, now, if you're on YouTube or you're, if you're on Instagram, there's always an ad about making money online, making money with dropshipping. Mm-hmm. There's five gurus saying dropshipping is completely dead. There's five other quote-unquote gurus saying dropshipping is the best opportunity right now, right? So there's a lot of misinformation in the air. And there's also a lot of good information in the area. You know, there's a lot of webinars and communities and forums and groups and courses and whatnot. So again, it's just dabbling into, you know, each thing a little bit. I always say, ask someone else that has done that before. Ask someone else that has, you know, spoken with that person or have bought that course or who have watched person X's videos, you know? So I think just asking someone 
whether it be a friend or just someone else random in the community, that always, always, always helps. And it'll save you a lot of time, money, and energy. I can almost promise you that. Because um, I know I, I trusted a lot of wrong people. They ended up sending me <laughs> back instead of moving forward. You know, I, I tend to question the concept of of something in, in your particular case saying that uh, drop shipping is dead. You know, the big one that I keep coming back to is when, when they were saying that radio was dead because of the advent of television. Yeah. And in a way, radio as they knew it died, but this is part of the cycle because then radio has revitalized, it's risen from the ashes. And now I consider what I'm doing radio. Yes, technically it's called podcasting, but personally, I don't actually, I don't even like the term podcasting. I always feel like when I hear the word podcasting, I think of a grandma going, oh, he's cute. Oh, he's doing his podcast with his friends in his basement. I'm waiting till they go on break and then I'm going to bring him some Rice Krispie Squares and Tang. But on a fundamental level, it is radio. So these things, they come in cycles. And so, yeah, they could be right. It could be dead, but they could be speaking specifically of a, of a vision of it, of a version of it that died and that needs to come back to life in a new way, it needs to be reborn. Yeah, absolutely. I think... I think dropshipping is not dead. Like you'll see a bunch of videos. I don't think it's dead. Is it saturated? Hell yeah. It's crazy saturated, right? But so is social media marketing agency. So is real estate. So is Forex. So is crypto. You know, everything's saturated or mostly everything's saturated. You know, you want to take pictures. You want to be a videographer. You want to be a rapper. The market's saturated as shit, you know? It's just doing things differently. It's being more unique. Um, it's doing what your competitors aren't doing. It's always kind of going that extra step. Obviously doing what's already working for other people, but adding your own twist to it, you know, adding that extra oomph factor to it. So with drop shipping, I think drop shipping, like I said, is a business model. A model typically doesn't die. But I think as a consumer market is evolving, as these social media platforms are growing and also evolving, we as aspiring or current e-commerce business owners or entrepreneurs, we also have to adapt and pivot with that. You know, what what used to work before in 16, 17, having a sloppy website, you know, slapping it on Facebook, having like $2 CPCs or cost per clicks, that stuff doesn't work anymore, right? So my point is like what used to work before doesn't work anymore. Or if it does work, it works in a little bit of a different way. So that's why I focus especially from this year, a lot on micro-branded dropshipping, you know, and making sure my website looks trustworthy, making sure my customer has a sense of confidence once he or she visits the website, having good images, having good ad copy, having good quality video creatives. All that stuff is very important, and that's why I call it micro-branding because obviously myself Mm -hmm. or the person next to me is not Nike or Adidas or Sephora. So that's why I like to call it micro-branded dropshipping. And I specifically focus a lot on one product dropshipping. You know, there's no right or wrong way to really go about it. I mean, you can have a general store, a niche store, a general niche store. I personally prefer one product micro-branded dropshipping because it makes it easier to really hone down and focus on one product, right? It really makes you feel or the customer feel like, pardon, that that product is, you know, xyz's brand's product you know so that's what i've gotten to focus on a lot that's why i teach to um, a lot of my coaching students that's why i teach a lot of to my communities you know one product micro branded drop shipping even though if you don't have a one product store focusing 
around that one product, at least try and brand your store. You know, make sure the color schemes are good. Make sure there's there's that sense of congruency on your store, basically. Same goes with like your social medias, right? Just giving importance to every factor uh, contributes into micro branding. You know, not only do you have to have a good website, but you know, do you have good warmed up Instagram and Facebook social media accounts? Do you have, you know, good quality images? Are you running a good video creative, like I mentioned? So these are factors that contributes into my program of dropshipping. And it's more so because the consumer market is getting attained to generic, spammy, shitty looking stores. Pardon my French, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just that stuff like that's just not going to work long term. It's really not. I think like... 2021 it's like yes you can still drop ship but you, your store has to be really branded you know like that's why i haven't really announced this public but i'm really thinking of stepping away from drop shipping like q2 of next year and just focusing more on like private labeling or even even white labeling here and there yes i'm still going to be teaching about drop shipping because i think it's a it's pretty much a good entry point to start into entrepreneurship into e-commerce I was there at one point, you know, it's good to learn the skills and to build that capital and that cash flow. But just to the point where I am, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to give it, you know, a few more quarters and then eventually just kind of step away from it, you know, and just kind of be behind the scenes, whether it be consulting people or whether it be coaching people. So, yeah, I mean, you have to adapt and pivot, you know, like they say, it's a survival of the fittest. So um, that's kind of what it is within e-commerce. So you really haven't mentioned that anywhere. That was an Ecomonics. Yeah, first. it was. It was. I really haven't oh, wow. mentioned that anywhere. Scoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand that. And I and I did look at your Instagram too. I try to look at everything before I meet with a guest just to try to be as prepared as I can. And you do have a flair for style. And I think a lot of your passion comes from being able to have good presentation, but but also provides a lot of positivity too. Because somebody can dress dapper and, and have a and have a great haircut. But they can also be yeah. a dick. Whereas, you know, you're you're doing all all of the all of the right moves and you're trying to present an aura of positivity with it. And I can see that you wanting to embed that into brands, into micro brands and white levels or uh, whatever it is that you're uh, working yeah. on. So I, I wish you well. I'm sure you'll do Thank I'm sure you. you'll do I good. That. <laughs> you're welcome. So you mentioned very briefly about your invitation to the dropshipping council. I was going to ask you about that because I wanted to, basically, I'm going to talk to anybody on the dropshipping council just to kind of put the big picture together of how everybody joined that. So you said you were invited, which is not what I would have thought. I would have thought that you were going to apply to it. So how did they reach out to you? Why did they reach out to you? And what is the dropshipping council doing for yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. So in a way, like, yes, I was invited. I still have to apply. I was actually invited. Oh, I see. Invited yeah, to apply. Okay, okay, fair. To by Camille, the Ecom King. I know I probably mentioned his name like a few times, but uh, he's one of my really good buddies, or he's been one of my really good buddies for the past few months now in the space. So he's uh, actually one of the founding members of the Dropshipping Council that first got selected to be part of it. And he's like, hey, I think you should definitely, definitely apply, check it out, see what they have to offer. So I applied, you know, I had like a little bit of a interview like a little showcasing uh but basically it's for anyone who has spent uh, i believe over fifty thousand dollars on advertising collectively and anyone who has done a hundred thousand dollars or more in sales 
within 30 days, right? Those people are eligible to apply uh, to the dropshipping council. But yeah, more than that, I think, you know, it's a great community. I mean, when I joined not too long ago to where we are right now, you know, it's a much bigger, expanded and diversified community. You know, we have dedicated Slack channels, you know, for copywriting, for Facebook ads, just a whole bunch of stuff. We also have exclusive partnership deals with like a lot of content creation companies, a lot of supplier companies, just a whole bunch of stuff. So I think it's a great network and it just really depends on you and how you want to utilize it, how you want to go about it. But um, I think it's a good thing to really tell who's really in it for real to who's really not. Now, obviously, there's tons and tons of people who are making money legitimately who are obviously it won't be in the dropshipping council, but I think it's still a good trust factor, you know, just kind of having something like that. So it's definitely good for my personal brand. That's one of the main reasons I did it just to be super honest, but more than that, to mm-hmm. be kind of just super tightly connected in a close knit group to, you know, all of these six, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, Ricky Hayes, uh, Camille, uh, Peter Crew, you know, I've really gotten the chance to network with a lot of people. So yeah, that's that's been great. And I hope, you know, we continue growing as a community. We, you know, onboard some more cool, dope people who are making a lot of money, who have a lot of insight to share. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's been super, super great to be a part of over the past few months. I think, you know, people should definitely apply if they qualify for it. Last week, I got to talk to uh, Shashir, who was the founder of it. And one of the the hills that I don't know if I want to die on, but I'd be happy to lose an arm on is at some point it takes on like an, a King Arthurian or like an uh, a, like a fantasy vibe where everybody has like the different titles because you got Ecom King, you got wizards and <laughs> peace and all that kind of stuff. Wizards. So I will lose an arm on that hill. <laughs> yeah, man, I haven't really thought of anything like that just yet just my name my name on youtube is obviously like yash isku and it's mm-hmm. funny because it's not like my my actual last name which is shah but people actually mm-hmm. used to call me that when i was in middle school for some reason they had that nickname for me so i just carried that over i think no one really even asked me so far like why is your youtube channel yash isku but i just wanted to make it something witty maybe something different i don't know so I just really went with that. Fair enough. We're getting kind of close to the end. And I want to get a question out of you, a couple of actionable methods for people. So one of your recent videos on Halloween video products, where you show like five products that are uh, proven winners. So what I'd like to hear from you for our listeners is, what do you do to verify them as proven? And then you also have a, a workflow where you talk about selling for your store type, gender, potential interest, and creative types. So let us have it. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, Q4, these next three months are, you know, the most biggest months when it comes to e-commerce, right? I mean, business owners are making 50 to 80% of their annual revenue, annual sales within these three months. And I think Halloween is a great mini holiday or mini time to kind of capitalize on Halloween products. Obviously, you have to act on act upon them super quick because a lot of them do saturated because people mm-hmm. jump on them fairly quickly because you know people just have so much of a little time span to really sell them, and you know you obviously got to make sure it gets to them a few days before Halloween, if not at least a day before Halloween. So that's that. Sure. Like even a lot of products, like 
once you become adept at product research and validation, and once you spend money testing products, you start to recognize like a lot of seasonal patterns, a lot of seasonal trends, even besides seasonal, you start to recognize like a lot of product criteria, right? Kind of becomes more of your gut feeling. You know, you strengthen your market intuition, you strengthen your market logic. That's just kind of what comes, you know, with being in the space for so long. But I think the biggest thing I do to validate a factor is the product has to be a wow related factor product or a unique factor product. And that's because if you're going to use Facebook and Instagram to market, you have to understand the platform, right? Google is more of an intent-based search platform, right? Facebook right. and Instagram, are forms of interruptive marketing. You're interrupting someone's pattern. You know, there's no one who goes like, hey, like, let me wake up and let me go on Facebook to see if I can find a product today. Or let me see if I can go ahead and right. shop for some products on Facebook. No, you know, there's people on Instagram and Facebook looking at pictures of their friends, their family, their dogs, their neighbor, whatever it really may be. So you're interrupting someone's pattern. And right when someone sees your ad, obviously the ad has to be good. But right when someone sees the product, they should be like, oh, wow, like I really need this. So that it it has to be an impulsive buy, right? That's like the main thing I see within a potential dropshipping product that I'm going to test. Like if I'm selling this, for example, this JBL speaker, oh, it's another speaker. Oh, you know, I'll probably get that from Best Buy or Amazon or what's so great about it. You know, there's thousands of speakers out there. So that's not really impulsive. Now, obviously, if you're like, JBL selling it, that's a different story because they're already a trustworthy brand. They're, they're already have a lot of authority and power behind them. You know, it's like dropshippers trying to sell clothing on Facebook versus like Nike and Adidas trying to sell clothing. Obviously, that's a different aspect of things. But yeah, I think just having a wow factor behind it and having, you know, just that unique factor enabled in the product, that's very important to making sure that the product isn't available in retail stores because uh, more than that, there's a lot of market awareness created around it. If they're already available in retail stores, you know, such as like Big Lots, Walmart, Target, all these bigger retailers. So you want to make sure the product doesn't have a lot of market awareness and it uh, doesn't have a lot of market reach already. So I think those are the biggest takeaways, just understanding the criteria of what to sell because I see a lot of people overthinking about product research and it's really not that hard right like you don't have to reinvent the wheel especially if you're a beginner as long as you see that something's working you know you can go ahead and hop on there before that curve increases or before that curve plateaus so just think about it like that and the main thing is just testing I mean assuming you have a good landing page a good funnel a, a good ad you know the the product should sell and the the more you test quite frankly the quicker you know you'll find that winning product that's sustainable and that's going to be bringing you money because yeah quite frankly your first winning product can change a lot of things up for you it can open a lot of doors up for you so yeah just keep testing and make sure you guys have that product criteria in mind that's kind of the main thing i would personally look for that's excellent you know, you, you make a good point about a Facebook uh, intention versus Google intention because people are looking for something, you know, as specific as uh, their heart's desire on Google. What I would say, I, I've been a Facebook user since high school and I'm in my 30s now. 
I think the one thing that everything, every post, whether it's an ad or a picture from a friend, everything that Facebook has in common is that it's all discovery based. It's always about either like a new opinion on something that's going on in the news or it's the news or it's an update on a person's life story, like a wedding or their breakfast. So ads in that same way, they do fit in the sense that, oh, I'm about to discover something new. Um, And and for me, just, you know, being somebody who does buy things uh, often, it's discovering something that is drawing attention to an issue that I've had for a long time. Problem exactly, solving, right? Yeah. Like you won't, re- like you don't really expect what's about to come in your Facebook feed or in your Instagram feed. Just like when you're scrolling through pictures, you don't know what's about to come or who you're about to see or what you're about to see. So, I think again that attention grabbing product and video is important. And if it's a problem solving product, because obviously like passion related products are very profitable too. But regardless, like people should realize you know, they need this product, you know, or they need to get it for someone like right now, you know, that's what they should feel when they're seeing that ad and when they're seeing that product, you know, because there's obviously products that people need. And there's obviously products that people want. I focus more on products that people need. Absolutely. You know, problem solving product, I focus a lot on personal and healthcare products, because people usually invest into their bodies, people usually don't think twice Mm -hmm. to invest into their bodies i mean if someone's neck is really hurting they're not going to go months and years without getting something for it to to solve that problem you know if they see a really cut like a really cool efficient neck massager which was a winning product by the way a few months ago they're going to go ahead and buy that product so um, yeah i mean problem solving and conveniency products they always do well you know products that you know, deliver value to people's day-to-day lives, products that people can use on a day-to-day or weekly basis, and products that mm-hmm. people absolutely need. You know, they're they're solving a current task or problem, or they're making that task or problem easier. You know, it's saving them time. It's saving them, you know, 10 extra trips down the stairs. I don't know, whatever it really may be. Those kinds of <laughs> products usually work really well because they sell for themselves for the fact that they contribute to someone's lifestyle, right? So that's kind of what I really look for. Obviously, you have like your passion products for Valentine's Day, that couples buy, you know, for Mother's Day. Those are very, very much of a good sell as well because usually people say people buy with emotion, justify with logic. Those kinds of products, people almost fully buy with emotion. There's very little logic that goes behind those kinds of products. In terms of evergreen products that you may even want to white label, turn them into brands, you know, look for problem solving products, you know, look for products that contribute to people's lifestyle, that what they're getting in return is more than the value of, of the product. You know, it's like a Netflix subscription, like people are paying what, eight, nine, but ten dollars a month. But in return, I mean they can binge watch their favorite TV shows and favorite movies. And obviously the feeling that they get out of that, the entertainment they get out of that is, is almost priceless. So that's kind of the same mindset you have to, you know, bring on to product research. Exactly. And then with Netflix too, it compels people to use it once they've subscribed to it because they're paying for that month. They need to actually get on that and they need to actually start watching it and start forming those watching habits. Otherwise they're 
well, they're not really investing their money very wisely. Yeah, it's case. like a lot of e-com-based subscription models too. I mean, that's like a whole other topic, but that's also very, very opportunistic too. You know, sending out actual subscription bot to a product or products on a month-to-month -month basis. Obviously, the product people are using, you know, is producing some sort of delivery or results. You know, they're going to keep buying it over and over again, especially if it's like a personal care or self-care product because again people are going to invest into themselves their bodies no matter what i agree with that uh hence the our our brief expose on supplements so i'm going to give you like a wrap-up question you know the usual like what do you recommend people do but before that we've talked about white label a couple of times and i do want to hear your take on what a white label is i know i could just google it but i, I do want to hear what uh what your take is on it yeah, absolutely. So white labeling is obviously another form of drop shipping too. I've had two white label stores so far, one this year. Actually, one was in Q1 and one just very, very recently was another one of my stores. So essentially, like you can technically start out with white labeling. White labeling, what that really is, is just rebranding that product with your logo on there. Right. Let's say there's a Beats pill speaker instead of the Beats logo or the text on that exact product, you slap it on with like, I don't know, Bob, if that's your name. Right. So it's just basically rebranding an existing product with your store's name. And obviously you can start out by doing that. But what I recommend is when you gain some consistency, when you gain some traction, when you know or when there's some sort of proof of concept in a particular product or products, you know, you're selling 100, 200 units a day on a consistent basis. You know, your profit margins are good. All that stuff is good. You have a big market, you know, it's evergreen. What you can do is you can contact a supplier. You can contact, you know, an Alibaba supplier, for example, or even a fulfillment center or a 3PL service, depending on what they offer. And you can basically order in bulk and actually have, you know, them brand your logo or your brand your actual website logo on the product so it basically creates more trust i mean there's several dropshipping products out there that have been white labeled now and it just creates more trust because it's literally branded you know and right obviously with private labeling like you tend to manufacture your own product you know it's more than likely your concept or your design you may or may not have a patent on a certain uh aspect of your product with white labeling it's much more feasible yes it's still drop shipping but at that point you probably have like a fulfillment center you know you have good delivery times you have reliable tracking information and yeah i mean it's really possible to scale to like seven even eight figures with a white label store i mean i know there's stores that have been white labeled two years ago with the winning product that are still killing it and they're just expanding their like product line and stuff now. So, I mean, white labeling is great. I don't suggest starting out with it because you don't know whether that product is going to work or not. You need some sort of proof of concept and then you can go a step ahead sure. and, you know, figure out like logistics and infrastructure and all that good stuff. Excellent. Thank you for illuminating me on that one. All right. Well, I have taken up plenty of your time and I, and I thank you for it. So 
Let's do one uh, wrap-up question for people who are uh, fired up after listening to this episode. Uh, what are the first things you recommend they do, whether to engage with you or to just engage in, in general? Yeah, so depending on where you are in your e-commerce dropshipping journey, I mean, you may be listening to this and you may have seen you know, a few people talk about it. You may have seen an ad on YouTube. Who knows? But the first thing is to learn about it. You know, watch YouTube videos. Watch me on YouTube. Join my Facebook group, Ecom Masterminds. You're more than welcome to. And, you know, contain yourself with the right information, right? I think investing in yourself is the biggest investment you can make. So definitely start doing that. You know, start meeting the right people. Start watching the right videos, the right content. Join the right communities. You know, if you're like a beginner or if you're you know already starting or if you're an intermediate or if you're an advanced player, obviously if you're an advanced player, you already know what you're doing. But, you know, if you're more of a beginner, someone who's already been started into the space, you know, continue like expanding your skill sets. I think you should really, really focus on where your biggest weaknesses are. Almost everyone has weaknesses. I was really good at website development or website optimization. You're not developing with Shopify. It's more with themes and whatnot. But, you know, I was really good at making my website look good. Basically, I was really good at you know, product research and product validation, but my weak point or my roadblock was Facebook ads, right? I didn't really know how to test products adequately with Facebook ads. I, I ended up burning a lot of money. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars my first year. Like I, I was in, I was in debt, I think. So things, were, oh, geez. Think, things got pretty bad, but, um, you know, just continue knowing where your weaknesses are and spend time on the right thing. You know, like, you could spend four hours on your website and keep tweaking it, keep adjusting it, playing with this color scheme, that color scheme. But if it already looks good and if you're good at it, why not spend your time on product research or whatever else you're lacking in? So I think knowing where your weaknesses are and tackling that and getting help from someone else who's already been doing that for a long time uh, will really help you. It's just kind of, you know, putting your resources into like, the proper time frame, you know, or even just obtaining the right intro at the right time, I would say. So just be very wary of that. And um, the goal is to become self-sufficient, right? Because you don't, obviously, you may want to expand your team, you may want to hire people. But you as a business owner, you as an e-commerce business owner, you should know every component within your business, why, why, you know, so is so and what and how, you know, you do something, right? Like not only why, but also how you're kind of doing it mm-hmm. and vice versa, I would say. So just be mindful of, of kind of those two things. Well, that is a, uh, well, that is a fantastic takeaway. All right. Well, Yash, thank you so much for your time. We are going to uh, let everybody go and we will see you guys on the next episode. Thanks guys. It's been a pleasure. Same here. You might've found this show on many number of platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life 
and the lives of many through what you do next.